And uh, in fact, we'll have an article like that coming up very shortly uh, about someone who believes that communism was what Jesus Christ taught and the apostles practiced uh, in the book of Acts. And people, these are not marginal figures, unfortunately. They are all too influential across the transatlantic sphere. These are the sorts of ideas that the Acton Institute exists in order uh, to discuss. And when you see these cropping up again and again, uh, I think that we can learn from the arguments that are being advanced over there. They can learn from the arguments that are being advanced, certainly from the Acton Institute and others in the United States. And uh, together, hopefully, we can make some headway. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermas. Glad to be your host. Uh, that voice you heard at the top of the show was that of Father Ben Johnson. He is going to be speaking with our very own Carolyn Roberts a little bit later in this edition. He is a senior editor here at the Acton Institute, and he's going to be talking about Acton's brand new blog, which we're calling Religion and Liberty Transatlantic. And uh, he's going to kind of explain a little bit about what that publication is about and why it's going to resonate uh, with you, our listeners. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. Also, we've got an edition of Upstream coming up. Bruce Edward Walker, once again, in the hosting chair there, leading a conversation with Carolyn Roberts and Daniel Menjavar of the Radio Free Acton crew, as well as Jordan Baller, a senior research fellow here at the Acton Institute, also our director of publishing. They talk about the new Marvel film, Thor Ragnarok, and uh, Jordan is going to explain to us how the film contains some Acton themes. Always good to see films with Acton themes. So uh, that is the uh, the preliminaries. Without further ado, let's throw the uh, show over to Carolyn Roberts uh, to talk with Father Ben Johnson here on Radio Free Acton. producer of Radio Free Acton, and I'm here in the studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with Father Ben Johnson, a senior editor at the Acton Institute, here on the phone with me. Thank you for being on the show today, Ben. Thank you so much for having me again, Carolyn. So today, what I want to talk a little bit more about is your transatlantic blog, um, the Religion and Liberty transatlantic blog. Um, am I right, Ben, in thinking that this is a fairly new um, blog platform on Acton's site? I believe it's the newest uh, plat platform that is uh, available on the Acton website. That's right. Great. So what exactly is the Religion and Liberty Transatlantic blog? Like what kind of articles can we expect to read there? Well, at uh, Religion and Liberty Transatlantic, we have a, a web page that updates every day uh, with new articles and new information. And uh, it was an idea that uh, several people, both inside and outside the Acton Institute, decided had become necessary in order to cover uh, what's happening across the transatlantic space. People may say, what's transatlantic? What does that mean? When we uh, say the term transatlantic, in our context, we mean the United States, Canada, and all of Europe, uh, literally every country from Spain uh, to Russia and everywhere in between. And uh, on transatlantic, uh, religion and liberty transatlantic, we will have articles from people who are think tank leaders, who are uh, leaders throughout the continent, uh, in their own countries, they're often 
quoted very much like Father Sirico and others are, but uh, they are people who agree with uh, our point of view and look at the world the way that we look at them. And uh, when we take a look at um, the issues that are facing this space, we found that for the most part we're facing the same issues across these national lines. And so if we examine them together, and in the words of the prophet Isaiah, if we reason together, then uh, that helps us. I realize it's an overused term, but I think that we also build a certain synergy when we work together, and uh, certainly when uh, people of faith work together and pray together, even if uh, we aren't in the same church or even necessarily the same faith, we uh, we develop a, a tremendous amount of uh, goodwill and good insights into the issues that are facing us. Also, I, I think that it helps us, uh, particularly in this country, we have a tendency, those of us who share the beliefs that the Acton Institute has, to see ourselves as, as a tiny minority. I think the media do everything that they can to encourage that uh, point of view among us. But imagine what it's like to hold that point of view and live in Europe for a moment. Um, in the UK, for example, 1% of the population attends church every week in the Church of England. That's a, a church that at one time had 100% church participation, and it's less than a million people, 760,000 people. So they, they very much uh, are, are seen as the minority and believe that they're powerless, and uh, Religion and Liberty Transatlantic is designed not only to inform us of what's going on in Europe, uh, but and to inform them of what's going on here, but also to create this uh, insight and synergy and to hold one another's hands and let us know that uh, we're not alone here. Uh, we're not alone in the United States. We're not alone in Europe. There are people who share our views across the world. In fact, this is the dominant view of Western civilization, and there are others who are there. I, I often think of the prophet Moses in, uh, the, in the Torah. There's a story where he's praying. I believe the Amalekites or one of the Canaanite groups are attacking and while he's praying, his hands get heavy, and he calls other people to lift his hands up. And um, while his hands are lifted, uh, then eventually victory comes. I think that that is our place, to raise up one another's hands and to continue uh, in our struggle uh, and in our fight. And words have such gravity. Like, they have so much power um, to do that. Yes, and we have, um, in, in, if I may uh, quote a phrase, we have the best words at Acton Religion and Liberty Transatlantic. Uh, we have some wonderful writers uh, just today. Well, on the day that this is recorded, we have, uh, for example, Richard Tether, who is a, a, a distinguished lecturer in tax law, and uh, he's also associated with two of the premier think tanks uh, in Europe, and particularly in the UK, the Institute of Economic Affairs, which was founded by this obscure economist, uh, in part by an obscure economist named Friedrich von Hayek, and also the Adam Smith Institute. Uh, so yeah, we, we have those sorts of insights, that level of insight from professors and think tank writers and, uh, and others, and, and it, ran, it runs the gamut. They're not merely academics, although we have many of those, but uh, also priests and pastors and people of all different faiths, anyone who is interested in the issues that the Acton Institute covers across the transatlantic sphere, again, from the United States all the way uh, to Eastern Europe. So as you're seeing more and more articles being generated on this transatlantic blog, um, you mentioned that you see some different issues crop up that are similar to those, you know, in the United States and across um, the Atlantic. So what exactly are those issues that you've noticed? Well, one of the uh, prime ones, just to um, to take one in particular, is the is the um, 
the decision that many people in, in our country are looking for a strong leader. And what we are looking for is a strong people. Much uh, A big problem, uh, but particularly pronounced in Europe. Uh, the issue over there, they would, de they would define it as populism, which is the, the people looking to a strong leader to take power into his own hands, ignore the niceties of the law, ignore perhaps constitutional boundaries and even private property and things of that sort, or enumerated right in order to get back at someone that they believe has taken power from them uh, surreptitiously. Uh, this may be a certain group of people or it may be a certain elite uh, group of, uh, uh, of business owners or others that they fault for, uh, uh, for their own uh, situation at the moment. And a lot of people have, have um, commented on this. It's been very successful in Eastern Europe, but uh, you see the same trends taking place here in the United States. People uh, both on uh, the left and on the right uh, who would call themselves uh, uh, conservatives, but who want a strong centralized leader to go in there and uh, sort of uh, act like a bull in a china shop uh, when it comes to uh, constitutional liberties. Another, of course, is the um, the lack of religious liberty across the transatlantic sphere. It's much worse in Europe than it is here because of our First Amendment. Uh, but people have, uh, when they are free to uh, choose what job that they engage in, uh, of course, they're able to act according to the dictates of their own conscience. When the government begins to regulate these, then people uh, in uh, William F. Buckley Jr.'s phrase start counting up noses and decide which sorts of jobs uh, you have to perform and the exact specifications that uh, will be covered. And when that happens, that's quite often when religion and, and uh, the public sphere begin to collide. This has happened throughout uh, throughout Eastern Europe, and it's happened uh, here in the United States increasingly. And then a, a general turning against what had been the Western civilization uh, and, and the very core of Western civilization for a long time in one pillar after another, uh, particularly among people of faith who are still people of faith. Uh, we see an increasing belief that socialism was Jesus' will. We see people who are writing that communism is the only way to truly be a Christian. And, uh, in fact, we'll have an article like that coming up very shortly uh, about someone who believes that communism was what Jesus Christ taught and the apostles practiced uh, in the book of Acts. So and people, these are not marginal figures. Unfortunately, they are all too influential across the transatlantic sphere. These are the sorts of ideas that the Acton Institute exists in order uh, to discuss. And when you see these cropping up again and again, uh, I think that we can learn from the arguments that are being advanced over there. They can learn from the arguments that are being advanced, certainly from the Acton Institute and others in the United States. And uh, together, hopefully, we can make some headway. Which is a, a great segue into my next question. I was wondering, have you had any feedback from readers? Because um, as these things are being generated, these ideas that are well connected with each other, ha have any has anyone reached out to you and um, expressed their thankfulness in the quality of articles being produced? Oh, thank goodness! You know, uh, it's it's always wonderful to hear from people uh, and say that uh, this article made a difference, or uh, this was an insight that they hadn't considered before, or that I had always believed this, but I had never heard anyone else say it before. And I couldn't have even enunciated it myself in quite the way that this article did. So we've had uh, a lot of feedback, uh, particularly uh, I was over in Budapest at the European Liberty Forum uh, not that long ago uh, in the month of September. 
And uh, I got, had a chance there to meet the leaders of a lot of pro-liberty think tanks uh, across Europe. And when I mentioned Acton Institute, they had never met me. I'm fairly new here, and our publication is new. But when I said Acton Institute, their faces lit up. They said, of course, of course. <laughs> and then they began to ask, how's Father Robert? How's, how's Chris? How are others uh, at the Acton Institute? So they were, they were well aware of the work that is being done at the Acton Institute. And this is giving them an opportunity to participate, hopefully to amplify their good works over in Europe. Uh, and for us, uh, again, to compare notes and to learn from one another. You know, uh, someone once said, if you want to see America in 10 years, look at what's happening in Canada and Europe today. Well, it is such, it puts a smile on my face to hear that other people um, are so positively affected um, by your words and also by the words of people contributing to the blog. Also, am I right in thinking that you are looking for more writers to contribute to the transatlantic publication? Always. Always. <laughs> Forgive me, this is a, the editor in me coming out. I've been an editor for uh, for more than a decade. And uh, when people say, well, I, I had an idea, but I didn't know if I should trouble you with it, or I, I was always interested in writing, but I thought maybe you had a, a too good of a, uh, a quality already, and, and I didn't know if I would measure up. I say, give me a try, please. <laughs> uh, we're always looking for good writers. And um, discovering a new writer, a, a good writer, uh, or having a good writer come and uh, be part of your publication, to me, is like discovering treasure. So I, I love to be able to have these powerful words pour out of people who are passionate about what we believe in, uh, who share our belief in markets and freedom and uh, in the power of people with the direction of God to make a difference in the world. So if anyone has any interest in writing, please, I'm more than interested in hearing from any of our listeners who are so interested. Uh, they can contact me by email. Uh, the email, forgive me, this is a, sort of a writer's quirk. The, the email is a little bit difficult. It's the rights writer, the rights, so T H E, uh, rights like Bill of Rights, R I G H T S, and then writer, uh, W R I T E R, at gmail.com. So the rights writer at gmail.com, and just put Acton Institute or Religion and Liberty Transatlantic in, in the uh, subject line. And uh, I would be more than interested in hearing anyone who has a passion and an interest. Uh, and they need not be based in this area. They need simply to have an interest uh, and uh, a, um, an ability to write about the issues that are going on in the transatlantic space. And I'd be more than happy to correspond. Oh, well, thank you so much for that, um, Father Ben. And I hope that um, you continue, that the blog continues to do well and that you get some feedback from our listeners um, as we're always looking for more writers so thank you for very much for being on the show today, Father Ben. Well, thank you for everything that RFA does. It's a vital uh, part of what's happening at Acton, and I get a lot of good feedback about what you do as well, Carolyn. Oh, well, thank you very much. All right, you can read the Transatlantic blog at acton.org slash publications slash transatlantic. This is Caroline Roberts for Radio Free Acton. November 16 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to hear Dr. Lee Edwards, the Distinguished Fellow in Conservative Thought at the Heritage Foundation, speak about Just Right, a life in pursuit of liberty.
In this fascinating memoir, historian Lee Edwards, who knew and worked with Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater, and William F. Buckley Jr. for nearly five decades, reveals what motivated these giants of modern conservative movement, a staunch belief in free enterprise, and a love of God. You can register for this event at acton.org slash events. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Upstream, where politics is far, far, far downstream from culture. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a cultural event, uh, cultural apocalypse, if you will, that uh, somehow manages to squeeze politics in anyway. And I'm sitting here talking with Acton's own Jordan Baller, a good friend of mine, and uh, I used to do entertainment writing for his father, the entertainment editor at a deceased Royal Oak newspaper. <laughs> and uh, yeah. my, my producer, Caroline Roberts, is with us. And in the booth, we have Daniel Menjivar. And we're going to talk about Thor Ragnarok. And I just wanted to say Ragnarok as many times as I can. So let's see how many times we can fit that in and not have uh, Daniel pull his hair out. We've got, he's Daniel's fact-checking. So if there's any, like, names of dorky characters that we have to remember, I'm sure he'll get it all. Right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I, I saw Thor on Saturday during the three-hour and 20-minute rain delay of the Michigan State-Penn State football Good game. call. Good call. And so, you know, when you were done with the movie, you got to see Michigan State, you know, score a victory. That was It was Ragnarok for Penn State. Fantastic. So, okay, one of my one of my problems with uh, I'll call, I'll just call it Thor before people start uh, throwing stones at me here in the studio is that they they could not help themselves. They had to take the the Kate Blanchett's character, and uh, basically she is possessed by Alec Baldwin's impersonation of uh, our current president. And uh, I really don't have a dog in the fight. This being upstream and not downstream, but uh, it just seems. Oh, can you just let it go? Can you just let it rest? Where she gives this speech that is basically. I'm going to make Asgard great again. I looked over at my wife and I said, oh, she's going to make Asgard great again. And she's looking at me and she's, no, that's not where they're going with it. And sure enough, she starts disparaging her father, Thor's father, and uh, how he has let the, the population of Asgard down and tops it off with the exclamation, Sad, just like Trump, just like Trump's Twitter, and it's like, oh, seriously, are, are you saying that we have to destroy the planet to get rid of Trump? Yeah, and we can't just, <laughs> we just can't wait until another, you know, freely held election in the United States. It, it just seemed to be a little over the top, and you know, what? Seriously, what? Why? Why do you have to go there? Well, she definitely did seem to channel the spirit of a neocon in the Hollywood imagination, right? I mean, I, I guess I didn't real, I didn't catch that scene as... Yeah, I was going to say, it went right over my head. It was just more subtle maybe than uh, Bruce thought it was. I mean, there was, there's definitely... So one of the things that is interesting about politics and political economy in this film, there's two main things, but one of them is this idea of a founding myth, which she exposes, that Hella exposes, right? Um, and the proof is right there. When she tears down the ceiling, there's 
Odin in that hat, the death hat or whatever the thing is that she's wearing. <laughs> I know, think that's that what she the, has. I now. think that's what it's called. Is in the that comics. not the technical term for that? I think that's what it's called in the comics too. <laughs> the death hat. Yeah, uh, I'm I, sure. I, I thought it was called the antler dance, but. <laughs> um, but there's this this sense that uh, all political orders uh, are have to be founded on some kind of a origin story, right? Um, and in fact, they're largely mytho- mythological. They have to serve some purpose to get people to buy into some ideals, whereas the reality of it is often a lot more complex and bloody and nasty. So, I mean, there's a long tradition of recognizing that nations, empires, certainly – are founded on violence, basically. And there's injustice at the root of everything, of all of these institutions. Um, and there's this this ongoing kind of human need to have an ideal that we're hearkening back to. Maybe it's an Edenic kind of paradisical ideal that um, that's not the way things were or there's some great past that we have to get back to or something like that. Um, so that's one of the things I thought was really interesting is that there's we get these reveals about who Odin used to be or what the foundations of Asgard really were, assuming we can take Hela at her word, obviously. Right. But there's some independent proof that there's, you know, some truth to her, her story about how, how the nine realms were originally, you know, made into an Asgardian empire. Right. And uh, then you have the Valkyrie coming in to more or less confirm that. Right. The special forces. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, Answer me this, and I'm going to direct this to to, to Daniel. I, I'm not the world's biggest fantasy, sci-fi, comic book superhero fan. Uh, didn't read comic books when I was a child, and I understand the whole origin story. I, I read Northrop Fry and uh, all sorts of critics that that discuss how this happened. Joseph Campbell, what have you? But seriously, there are there's automatic weaponry being. Uh, deployed against individuals who are doing nothing more than waving swords at each other. And my, my, my question is, does this make any sense? <laughs> I, I just, I found it to be really sort of absurd. Yeah. But it's also a realm where like Thor is a God, but at the same time, an alien being, right. He's the God of thunder. Uh, but he's also part of this like, uh, galactic civilization, essentially that travels from place to place. It's, it's science fantasy, essentially, what it is—the blending of the two. Um, so it's silly, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, and so I think that's sort of sort of the take that Marvel Marvel does. Yeah, I was going to say I think Marvel definitely aimed at more of a comedic movie than maybe past Marvel movies. I mean, they've always been slightly comedic, but this one was just play after play on words and jokes. Yeah, closer to Guardians of the Galaxy two, I thought. Yes, uh, yeah, in, for sure. in tone. I, I I would agree with Certainly that. Certainly earlier than the Thor movies too. I mean, Thor has always mm-hmm. been had that kind of within the context of the Avengers, been the kind of comic relief a little bit. Yep. Right, especially... But the earlier Thor, like the second one was not... I don't remember there being that much funny in the second one. And this one, I thought, was way better Mm -hmm. than the second one, to be honest. Yeah, what they aimed at, they were certainly, you know, successful. So, Well, but that that brings us to the Tom Hiddleston character, uh, Loki. Is it it Loki, Loki? (laughs) I think Uh, it's Loki. (laughs) Okay, all right. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, you know what? If this guy were my twin brother, if he were my conjoining twin, I would find some way to eradicate him because he's just a pain in the neck. He's nothing more than uh, a source of trouble and problems. He keeps trying to kill Thor and 
Thor just keeps coming back and saying, yeah, well, you know, I'd take you out, but I, I need you right now. So he just becomes more more or less, he's funny, and, and Tom Hiddleston is a fine actor, but I, I just think, okay, this is just, you know, a ghost in the machine. He, he's, he's, his place in the story is just merely mechanical this, rather than anything else. This film was not the best vehicle for Loki. Well, is Loki, though, like, according to mythology, the god of mischief? I'm pretty sure he is. Yes. But so, it turns out the only person he can cause trouble for is Thor. Right, right, of course. <laughs> like, I, I don't remember, I just read a line about that, and it was, like, that's very accurate in this movie. Like, he doesn't trick anybody but Thor. Are you really a, a trickster god if the, if the only guy you can fool is your brother? Right, yeah, and, and you know, seriously, why don't you, uh, you know, take some of this uh, unique talent and apply it towards your sister? Because I grew up with five sisters, and I'm here to tell you, I was the mischief maker and had a lot of fun doing so. And it was easier to get away with wreaking mischief on my sisters than it was my my older brother because he was bigger and stronger than I was and had a shorter temper. So uh, I, I just look at the, the, the character and say, okay, you know what? You're really a pain. And it, it, it's like watching Tanya Roberts' character in uh, the James Bond movie where she does nothing more than get into trouble that James has to bail her out. It's like, okay, you know what, James? Why don't you just, you know, put her someplace where she can't touch anything and can't get into trouble or uh, the Kate Capshaw character in the, the second Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like, okay, you're, you're just, you're just annoying. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's also a, a problem that all superheroes as a genre have too, right? Batman can get rid of the Joker uh, by killing him and that would stop a lot of evil, but he chooses not to for uh, moral or just reasons. Well, yeah. So Loki in this movie, it's not his, it's not a, it's not really a Loki vehicle. I mean, he he he's. There's a lot more that happens with Loki's character that's interesting. The second Thor movie. Um, oh, I think he's definitely in there for fans. I think that's what it is. Yeah, but there's a right, lot of fans like obsessed with Loki. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see more from Loki going forward. I'm sure uh, he does. I think have to step his trickster god game up a little bit at this point. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let, let's talk a little bit. Um, you you initially began to go there, Jordan, on some of the. Themes that uh, relate to an acting audience. What, what, what are, what do you see in uh, the new Thor movie that uh, would that addresses acting themes? Well, so other than this kind of noble lie or whatever, you, this founding myth that you've got that is exposed and the violence that is kind of at the root of all political order in the fallen world, right? We don't have. A, I mean, in the Marvel universe, we don't have, of course, have a you know specifically Christian kind of universe but there you, you can still kind of posit well things are broken and there's a pervasive fallenness throughout so um other than that the one thing that really stuck out to me was this this recurring theme and it really is towards the second half of the movie when odin comes back in a vision to thor and really communicates that asgard is a people and not a place that resonates i mean in many ways with a kind of a christian understanding of who the church is in the context of the worldly order um, and more specifically, you know, the, the Reformation anniversary was just the, the last week or so. Um, you know, one of Luther's early works, he, he, he writes about the, a distinction between spiritual Christendom or a spiritual church and the physical church or physical Christendom and makes this distinction. And that is a kind of a background for Abraham Kuyper to develop in the 19th century distinction between the church understood as a, as an institution, a kind of structure, formal structure that we can see, and as an organism or as a body, a spiritual body of connected believers. And so there's, there's a, 
there's a connection there, at least in terms of those categories applied in this film to Asgard, that the fundamental reality is this this people and not the buildings, um, the artwork, the physical place of Asgard. And so that kind of resonated, I think, with some of those larger themes about the relationship of human beings to particular nation states and how we connect that to our, our larger identity spiritually and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, and I that was also the theme that it ended on. Right. Cause they're, tri- I mean, now they're, they're, um, they're pilgrims, right? There are pilgrim people in the cosmos on a ship. Um, so, I mean, in a sense, that's an arc, right? Saving all that's left of Asgard. It's the people it's, now they're just getting wayfarers, which is a, a you know obviously a Christian theme throughout. Which which is a great uh, science fiction trope too, with uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama. Uh, what was uh, the the TV series that Harlan Ellison? Oh, Star Lost. That that was a, uh, the grounding for that as well. And Battlestar I, Galactica, Battlestar Galactica, sort of, uh, right? And uh, theological background, and, and, and also and, mythological, and, in some and way. even Silent Running with. Uh, my man Bruce Dern. So uh, anyway, I, I had a feeling that you would turn this into a six degrees of separation uh, from De Kuyper. And yeah, so that's right. I, it, it's not it, too hard. It, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, you know, okay, we, we need to have an intellectual basis for this this conversation. So we just kind of transport Jordan down here. And uh, he, he shows up and, you know, interjects De Kuyper into practically everything, which is kind of wonderful. So anyway... Every square inch. That's right. Well, Caroline Roberts, my, my wonderful producer, Daniel Menjabar, who is the, the master knob twiddler in the studio and uh, <laughs> the repository of all that is comic book related. There you go. <laughs> and Jordan Baller, who, uh, well, he needs no description... Uh, I thank you all for being here today to discuss Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok, and uh, we'll talk to you next week on Upstream. Ragnarok on. Thanks, Bruce. of Radio Free Acton. We appreciate you coming along for the ride with us uh, one more time here. Uh, And I want to thank, as usual, Daniel Menjivar and uh, Carolyn Roberts for their hard work uh, lining up guests, putting the episode together, and for the the button pushing and knob twisting and fader fading that's necessary in order to make one of these episodes sound uh, reasonably good. Uh, They did a great job once again. Thanks as well to Father Ben Johnson, uh, senior editor here at Acton, And uh, you can check out Religion and Liberty Transatlantic, a brand new blog here at the Acton Institute. Just head over to our homepage, acton.org, and look under Publications. You'll see Religion and Liberty Transatlantic listed right there. Go give it a read. Lots of good stuff there. And, of course, thanks to Bruce Edward Walker and uh, Jordan Baller for joining us for another edition of Upstream. Uh, Bruce does a great job with that all the time, of course. And Jordan, uh, coming down from the research department uh, to help out with Radio Free Acton, we always love having uh, the uh, the people from the think side of the think tank come down to help us here, uh, I guess, in the tank. So with all that said, thanks once again for joining us here on Radio Free Acton. We appreciate your patronage. If you have not subscribed already, please do so. You can do so on iTunes. You can do so on Google Play. Whatever you do, just do it and tell your friends as well uh, because we'd love to have the message of Acton spread far and wide. Uh, We are working on building a free and virtuous society, and we want your help, and we need your friends' help too. So... Uh, With all that said, thanks so much for joining us today once again, and we appreciate it. 
We'll be back with more editions of Radio Free Acton in the future. Have a good day, everybody.